Hi, and welcome to the Path to Power podcast with me, your emotional health and well-being coach, Dominic Rowe. I realized that the way that my style got formed was my dad left when I was three years old. That's the reason I operate the way that I do in all my romantic relationships. On this podcast, I talk to incredible men and women who have fought adversity and are turning their pain into power. I talk to people overcoming childhood trauma, abuse, and unhealthy relationships who now have brands, businesses, and are breaking the cycle to change their generational legacy. On this episode of the Path to Power podcast, I talk with Coach Court, a relationship and mindset coach who works with clients all over the world. Courtney's authority in the space of relationships and coaching comes from his own overcoming of significant adversities, including his own homelessness after his divorce. Courtney is now a certified coach, an author, presenter on his YouTube channel and a podcast. He uses his pain to inspire power in others. On this episode, Courtney shares his own insights on his anxious attachment style, struggling with feeling abandoned by his father as a child and overcoming broken relationships. Courtney shares with us how he has transformed his own mindset in order to become successful. Courtney, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, We were just talking off air and Courtney is a published author. He is a relationship coach and he also has an incredible YouTube channel with a growing following. Um, And you're doing some great work, Court, and just really authentic as a man in this space around healing, childhood trauma, relationships. Uh, And we connected uh, probably over a year ago on social media Um, and yeah, I'm just so excited to have your voice, um, on my platform. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And that was an awesome intro. I mean, this looks like you, um, you were meant to do this. Ah, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank You're you welcome. so much. So Courtney, do you want to tell us a little bit then about what, what a relationship coach looks like in all honesty in the UK, it's not something that many people would be that experienced of, of kind of hearing about, but I see that in America, it's, it's kind of quite a popular thing. You know, you have the likes of Esther Perel and Stefan Bossier and other voices in that space here. You'd have like maybe a helpline <laughs> for yeah. couples that might be struggling or something, but that's really what that would look like. So just tell us a bit about what that looks like for you and how you got into that. Well, over the past, I would probably say five years is when they really started to take off in the, in the online space, at least. Um, I went through my coaching school a couple years ago. And in that school, they taught you a lot about the different theories, um, like a lot of psychology stuff that's tied to relationships and, and living in relation to other human beings, period. And um, I learned so many like wonderful things throughout the school because I didn't uh, know too much about it. Now I went through a couple, you know, relationships myself, went through a divorce myself. So it really opened my eyes up and it made me think like, all right, there's more people that needs to know this. There's more people that needs to understand. It takes uh, work and it takes a lot of mindfulness to get uh, relationships to where you need it to be. So I decided to take that journey myself and it just kind of took off. I'm trying to think about you know, um, where to go with this. So um, did you did you start by coaching individuals or couples? And, and do, yeah. what do you do now? Is it mainly individuals or both? Or Well, individuals is what I started to do here. Uh, I was doing it locally. 
And then that's when I decided to launch my YouTube channel to put myself out there more. Uh, and I didn't know what I was doing, if I'm being honest. None I'm of us techie. do in the beginning, do we? None yeah. of us do. <laughs> we try and look like we know what we're doing. We have the lighting and the, the microphones. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And, it, and it's it's interesting because you have to be really vulnerable in order to be good at what you do. You mm-hmm. have to um, show people that you're not somebody sitting in front of a camera trying to convince them that, hey, everything that I do and say is right. You just got to be vulnerable and tell your experience and your story in order to get the people to believe in you. Mm-hmm. And it's what I learned is a lot of people want to be validated and they want to be, you know, they want to feel like they're not alone. And if you can do that the right way, um, that's when people started to believe in you. And like you said earlier, we talked before this consistency, you know, and I was consistent about you know, sharing my wounds, sharing my story with people and also empowering other people to, to um, walk the path. It's kind of the same way that I walked. It was my first book. Honestly, I felt like it was a poorly written book, but a lot of people liked it. And that was my very, it was self-published and it was through Kindle. I did it all myself. And I also did the audio version to it too, which a lot of people don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the audible version and, People kept telling me it's a great book. I'm like, eh, you know, I'm a little, I'm a perfectionist. You so, can tell that quote because I I have only just found out today that you had published a book. How is that? Yeah. Like I follow you on social media, you know, I'm I'm a fan in the sense of, you know, I enjoy your content yeah. and, and buy into what you do and say. So yeah, you're not talking about it enough. <laughs> Things didn't take off the way that I thought it would, but um throughout that season of my life, I was also grieving. Um the divorce that I was going through. Sure. So I guess that was kind of like something I repressed and I, I, I kind of see it as like a different chapter in my life. And I didn't really want to blur those chapters. Mm. Uh, I, I know there's a, a quote I wrote about uh, before you start the next chapter, you have to make sure that the ink dries on the, the, the other one. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to blur that together. Yeah. Yeah. Now I feel like those things are, are starting to become healed. And I can go back and revisit those chapters without, you know, getting my hands all inky. You know? <laughs> now it's in stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and you touched there on uh, your wounds, and then obviously that you know you later had a divorce. What what are your reflections now, kind of coming from the space? You know, obviously you touched on the fact that you've learned some psychology around relationships. I assume yourself, and and even yeah. the neuroscience of how our brain works with things like this. And we'll get to the attachment theory stuff as well, because I love that you are very courageous in sharing that you're an anxious attachment style like yeah. myself. Um, but yeah. but we'll go there in a second. But to start with, just share, yeah, it'd be nice to hear from you in terms of the wounds that you had and then the impact of that on, on your later marriage. Um, that's something that I learned in coaching school too, attachment theory. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that, you know, some of the things that I experienced as a kid is the reason that I act the way that I act today. you know, up until present day in relationships. Um, I love what you said as well when you were like, you wanted people to know that. Like, why doesn't everybody know this? Because I'm completely the same when it comes to, it's such a basic theory in the sense, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. anyway, please carry on. I can tell you why. It's it's because um, you don't know what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. you ask yourself, why is a stiller, you know, if you think in sports, 
why is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and, uh, always a Steelers fan? Or that means why nothing is... to me, by the way. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so <laughs> it's like uh, if you think NFL, all right. So think about your sports over there in the UK. Cool football, uh, football yeah, again, foot, of foot, which foot, I know nothing about. But yeah. Yeah, foot, football. So why is a football fan? A football fan. You sound your Eastern European, up. FYI. That is not a good British accent, but that? <laughs> I'll forgive oh, is you. that foot, football? <laughs> <laughs> Might have just been the way that I pronounced it as opposed you to know, your it's British. Funny. It, it's funny because I, I have some a lot of clients over there in the UK. Okay. Uh, and they, they make fun of me too when I try to make you know my british accent or whatever accent you're not as impressed by the by the english accent then when i was in the states everyone loved the accent and was like talk more talk more i was like really you're telling me to talk more this has never happened in my life <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah because i'm i'm blessed like i i literally sit in this room and i talk to people all over the world on a Amazing. day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and from all over you know and it's Back to the wounds. I'm sorry. I'm trying. Sure, to no, this is my fault. Um, yeah, there's so there's. I realize that my relationship is just a very small piece of my life. Once I start to learn everything, um, this isn't going to make or break my life. When I thought it did, when I was activated, and I was losing my 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 wife of nine years. You know, we were together for sixteen years. I felt like my whole world was crumbling. But then, you know, the more I learned, I learned about a bunch of different things. Uh, law of manifestation, the law of attraction, all those 12 laws of the universe mm. and meditation and start studying people like Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, the power of positive thinking. Like there is so much more out there to your relationships, uh, to your life than just your relationship. And once I learned to like uh, become more like a growth daddy, then I didn't want like those those childhood wounds didn't mean too much to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Because how I realized that my, the way that my style got formed was um, my dad left when I was three years old, and I tell that story to people all the time because it was so weird how I discovered it. I must have been twenty five or twenty six years old, and I was visiting my mom back in. Uh, I live like seven hours. I grew up seven hours away from here. I was visiting her and I was asking her about, you know, the day my dad left because he went to the military. I was three years old and I told her, you know, I said, we have this, I have this reoccurring image or this dream about something that happened to me when my dad left. I was three. And she was like, that's weird because that's exactly how it happened. I'm like, wow. You know, at the age of 26, I remember that. And that also let me know that you know, that's where my abandonment wound came in mm. um, and how that's the reason I operate the way that I do in all my romantic relationships. And other people, it's like, you know, if you leave, you leave. I'm fine. It, it is what it is. But for my romance, um, I also turned into a mama's boy. And I felt like men that are mama's boys, they do struggle with healthy relationships with women because they they kind of turn their their spouses into their surrogate mom and they uh, they function very unhealthily mm. in a relationship. And what did that what did that unhealthy behavior sort of look like for you specifically and how did that play out into your relationship? What was the impact of that? Um, lots of insecurities. 
not feeling good enough, fear of abandonment. Um, just a lot of wounds, like uh, in, in feeling it, feeling not good enough, feeling uh, fearing rejection, fearing abandonment, um, needing to be seen by everybody, you know. I mean, that carried over into my work life too. It, it worked for my work life, mm-hmm. but it didn't work for my relationship. You know, it, it helped me. It was like an asset. Because I feel like if you're somebody, if we're going to get into attachment theory. If you're somebody that's an anxious attachment, attacher, that's kind of like your superpower. Sure. Because we're strong, we're strong empaths. And we can pick up on people's energy. We can pick up on when somebody's feeling. We can pick up on when somebody doesn't text the same way that they text before. Um, it's, it's really something that helps us. Absolutely. In our work life and our other, when our, even with our friends, but when it comes to our romance, uh, it's definitely um, a little extreme. Yeah, for sure. Something I loved when I first started looking into attachment theories was actually the 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 need to dis, disattach shame to the to the attachment style so yeah. I'm also an a, a, a anxious attachment style and I was abandoned by both my mum and my dad at a young age and as yeah. a result similar to yourself I would see these behaviors play out only ever in my romantic relationships I'd have the greatest friendships the the most amazing professional career and and I would just be this person that I was like who is this woman I do not know her I do not recognize her but what I loved when I when I really understood my attachment style and I understood why and started to do that the work around it was that exactly like you said there's strength in it and actually if we can lean into the strengths and be aware of the where the weaknesses are and the vulnerabilities come in we we can essentially still operate as an anxious attachment style but in a healthy way yeah yeah absolutely it's it's because the other unhealthy attachment style, they don't have that ability. They're not able to pick up on whatever. That's right. They're not as good as us. No, I'm just yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. If we're being honest, because yeah, yeah, we no. can be so, so, so romantic and so uh, present in the relationship. Mm. Um, with, we can be we're thoughtful. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, Court. Have you found no, that you're often um, have you found that you're often attracted to attachment styles that are kind of those that are more the fearful avoidant types or uh, the the dismissive types so that they're less um, like yourself or have you been attracted more into relationships where the other person is similar and how has that played out that dynamic you know you know the interesting part of it is when your attachment style changes and I, there was a point when I was somebody that was a love avoidant that was, uh, I've been secure, I've been a love avoidant and I've been anxious. But anxious has always been hanging around in the background for uh, that right person to come along to activate it. And I do tend to attract people who are love avoidance. I'm more attracted to the ones that are love avoidance because they feel like somebody I can help, somebody that I can nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are more anxious and inconsistent, like I'm just kind of mm-hmm. kind of repulsed in a way by them. Um, but it's when like, you do it's the- just a bit extreme and it's like 
Yeah, it's too much. People too ask much. me, yeah, 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 because yeah, anybody that reach out to me and say, sit at their anxious attachers, they say, well, I just need to go find another anxious attacher. They're like, okay, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> One of you guys are going to get unattracted. Yeah. You're going to you're going to lose attraction for the other person, and one's going to become more dismissive, and then you're going to end up breaking up. Mm. And and I love that about the attachment theory. And and so for anyone listening that doesn't understand, essentially it's so simple. It's you know the way that our primary caregivers attached to us when we were children is the way that that will likely play out in our romantic relationships specifically because yeah. of certain parts of our brain and neuroscience and so on. But what I love is, like you mentioned, actually, you could be in any relationship with any other person. And actually, if they're doing the work, even if they are a a love avoidant or, you know, if they're doing the work and both of you are doing that work, actually, you can change to become a secure attachment. Um, and, And that, in all honesty, reading that gave me so much hope. Because it no longer became, for me, oh, I need to find another anxious attachment and we'll be fine. We'll just love on each other all day. No, it became, I need to find another healthy person that's doing the work and is Mm -hmm. on that journey of evolving and growing that I can then, you know, we can grow together. We can have our individual journeys that are going upwards and, you know, striving towards the same things, but Mm -hmm. together. And yeah. The the key, yeah, it's, it's... I call it growing love. I'm sure that's been said before. You, you grow in love. Uh, and it's not like trying to pull the other person along. And Because anxious people, um, if, if you're not giving us what we want, when we want it, just yeah, we, <laughs> now, like there's no going to bed angry with each other. No, we, we can't have any unresolved right. arguments. Like it, it has to get resolved right now. And that's also unhealthy because you mm-hmm. have to remember that people, even God gave us free will, you know, and we're free to do whatever we want. And the more that I started to realize that when I when I when I'm trying to ground myself, if I ever for whatever reason become uncentered, I remind myself those posts and quotes that you see me uh, posting, those are usually talking to myself. Sure. Absolutely. It's, it's, and I, I heard a long time ago that you teach best what you most need to learn. Those posts, those letting go, those understanding that I'm enough. And that when that little boy starts to come out and say, oh, she doesn't love me anymore, then I'll just put my arms around her and say, hey, we're all we need. Like, you don't need anybody else to love I you. I love that quote. You know, mm. we're good. Like, that's where the mirror work come in, the affirmation work. But let's talk about that, that inner child stuff, because certainly that for me was a very... Um, it was just a bit of an out there concept when I first came across yeah. it through therapy, right? I was like, inner child. Like, it just sounded really far-fetched and yeah. like not something I would I could relate to. But now I'm like, I'm all about that. Like, what is my, what is little Dom saying? What is she crying out for? What is she? Yeah. And, and but talk, talk to that a little bit as from a male perspective specifically for you, what that looks like, you know, and some people listening may never have heard of the term inner child. Yeah. So what yeah. is that? What has that looked like? for you in your journey i'm like a growth addict so i study a lot of this and when i heard about the inner child work you know it just made a lot of sense because usually um when you start to become unhealthy mentally or unbalanced if you struggle with anxiety or depression um it's just that part of your subconscious mind um that hasn't been tended to that hasn't been because, you know, the way that you operate, the hair you grow, uh, the, the way that you blink, 95% of that 
and above is done by the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm having, you know, I'm struggling, I, I, I try, I, I meditate a lot. I have to like turn inward and ask that little boy, like, what is going on? What is the story that you're telling yourself? Because it's all about the story that you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. When you're a little, when you're a kid, you have no clue from right from wrong. You have no clue that there are other things that happens externally um, that causes for things to happen in your life. Because if you're a two-year-old kid, three-year-old kid like me, my dad's leaving, I'm thinking, oh, he's leaving because he doesn't love me and he hates me. You know, I had no, I didn't get the concept that, hey, people have to earn a living. And the way that he saw fit best was to go into the military and do tours and serve his country, but also be able to support me. I didn't know that as a kid. You know, that's something that adults, that's adult issues. And that's what you have to do. You have to go back in and reparent yourself and tell yourself, hey, because my mom didn't have, you know, she may have consoled me the best way she could. And I had to rewrite the story that I was telling myself. Mm -hmm. And the story was, he's leaving me because he doesn't love me and he doesn't want to be around me. So I had to go back and, you know, scratch mm -hmm. all that and say, mm -hmm. no, he left because he was, and these are conversations that we've had as an adult, him and I. So I know the reason, um, but you have to like believe the reason and undo all those years of uh, negative storyline that you told yourself. Mm. And How it's all about, go ahead. No, you guys call it. I learned from watching a lot of uh, Tony Robbins and um, Earl Nightingale, James Allen, your belief system is what really molds who you are, mm -hmm. what you believe about the things that happen to you. When I was mentoring kids, I did it for like 14 years. Um, I had to really break down, you know, their thinking down to a fundamental level. Like, what is it that you believe? Like if a teacher told them, a teacher yelled at them or something, and I'll ask them like, what is your belief behind it? Why do you think they yelled at you? Well, because they hated me. Like, okay, why do you think they hated you? Like, just really breaking things all the way down. Oh, because usually when people yell at me, that means that they're mad at me. Like, okay, did you do something to trigger that? So just questioning their thinking. And I realized that I wasn't doing that for myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't questioning my own thinking either. So I, I let these beliefs run away, mm -hmm. you know. And so many of us do, you know, and it's one of the reasons that I really wanted to put, push the podcast out and some of the stuff that I show on social media, because people don't tell us, you know, I don't feel like anybody ever sat me down and said, you know, Dom, especially when I was acting out as a teenager, Courtney, you yeah. know, and I work with yeah. young people now and particularly those that are perceived as challenging. And almost always these are young people from families where there is significant adverse experiences in their childhood you know and yeah. and often not because anyone's been intentional about that but just because that's what's happened there's been trauma and there's therefore a response to that and it frustrates yeah. me that we exist in these systems which don't yeah. attend to that you know so there's yeah. there's nobody that ever sat me down and said you know Dom 
that what's happened to you, it wasn't your fault. And this has happened and this has happened. And at some point in your life, you may have to go into therapy and address some of these issues. And da, da, da. I was yeah. made to feel as though I was bad, you know. So yep. instead of actually fixing or healing me or doing anything for the positive, it was at my detriment yeah. because it was a reinforcement of the rejection, you know. And here in the UK, we have the school exclusion system, which excludes thousands of children every year from their education and I'm aware obviously you would have similar systems in the yeah States, we have alternative alter- programs too yeah sure. and a lot more progressive uh, I spent some time in the States about 10 years ago but they were okay. doing some incredible things around emotional intelligence and yeah. you know teaching young people about their own brains and the way they work and so on and we're 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 I think years behind that here in the UK, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, in Scotland, they're doing some great stuff and attachment theory is very much at the heart of a lot of policies, particularly in the social care sectors. But going back to what we were saying, I think the story that we tell ourselves, like how do we start to really identify that, that there are certain uh, stories that we're telling ourselves that aren't working for us. Like at what point did you make that decision or was that a process or was that like a revelation? No, it was, it definitely was not a revelation. It was a process. Mm -hmm. Um, The program that I ran, I ran it for 14 years. It was something that I started and it was an intense program. And I worked at the same time I was working in a group home for at-risk teen boys. Mm-hmm. So I was working with that, that population very intensely. Um, it wasn't long before I realized that at-risk youth become at-risk adults. 100%. This age out of the program. Like once you turn 18, you don't your juvenile record is expunged. Then you go into the adult courts. And that usually never progresses well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you don't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to, you know, get my life together at the age of 18. No, you continue to have unhealthy relationships. You, you continue to get put in the judicial system. And um, it really was easy to link that to attachment style theory when I heard about it. I was like, this is basically the work I've been doing for the past 14, right. 15 years. Like this is, so I was, it was an intense program. I picked them up every single day after school. I would work with 10 to 15 kids a day for three to four hours. So it was really intense. So I was able to do some intensive case case studies, if you want to call it that. Mm. And if I'm being honest, there weren't a lot of kids that ended up out of trouble. They ended up staying in the system well after leaving my program. Sure. And I've heard some stories, you know, and I've seen, you know, literally I picked these kids up in my own personal vehicle, take them, spend my own personal money on them and it was some really intense traumas that they were going through Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until you know years later like a decade later I'll run into them and ask them how they're doing and they'll let me know yeah I'm having a baby and then you hear about the relationship not being well it's like wow it's just these cycles just continue to go they just did this you know over and over again they don't get fixed because the people don't want to do the work or they don't understand it, the importance of doing the work. Or they don't know what they don't know, you know, like you, know you mentioned you earlier. Know. 
So mm-hmm. how how do you and you you've raised a really significant point of breaking the, those cycles. You know, people like you, myself. There's there's many people now that are so much more aware of this information because it's available to us. But how? What is the work? What is what? What is it that we need to be doing? And certainly, you know, somebody listening to the podcast that's that recognizes certain unhealthy patterns, toxic behaviors in their relationship. What is it that needs to happen in order for them to break that cycle? Sit with their thoughts, meditate. That's where it starts. Mm. And whatever that looks like, if that's praying, if that's meditating, you just need to sit with you and listen to you. They did a study on on people. I can't remember. I'm I'm being real loose with this here. They did a study with, uh, let's say, 100 men, 100 women. And they asked them, uh, would you rather sit with your thoughts for a minute? No, what is it? Would you rather sit with your thoughts for 10 minutes or would you rather take an electrical shock for a minute? And a high percentage, I want to say 70% of them said, I would rather get shocked. And that's the problem. Um, Once you get to a certain age, those traumas and those wounds have been so solidified in you where you just don't want to face them. You know, and I worked in, more recently, I worked in a uh, alcohol and substance abuse a rehabilitation center. And it was the same. Like they yeah. used drugs and alcohol to numb out those those feelings and those emotions and those thoughts. Um, so they didn't have to feel it. And it's sad because that's, if you actually, that's not doing work, that's oppressing. And I believe that you have to feel it to heal it. And when you're able to do that and be present and sit with your thoughts, either through meditation or through prayer and realize that, hey, what's the one variable here? What's the one common denominator? Me. Like if, if, if all these people are coming and going in my life, if I'm the one that's constantly getting, you know, scolded about the way that I'm showing up, then I need to really do the work on me, which is not because for men, what I've learned is, we're very prideful and we're very, uh, we let our ego get in the way and being vulnerable by seeking out therapy or seeking out, uh, counseling or something. We feel that it's weak. You know, talking about our feelings and our emotions is weak. I, I also had a friend of mine who's a clinician uh, and a counselor and he gave me an interesting like discovery he said, usually once uh, the women bring a man in for counseling, the relationship can usually be uh, salvaged. But when a man brings a woman in, it's pretty much over. Wow. Why? And it's, and it's because the man is in panic mode and he's he's only doing this because he feels like he's about to lose her. It, it's not a preventative measure. It's more of a, a, a damage control. Mm. But when women check out, Mentally, you know, it's really hard for them to see you romantically again. You know, mm-hmm. they can put you in the friend zones and be friends after that. But as far as the romance part, it's over. And it's because women are a lot more, you know, the way that you guys bond, you guys bond through communication and expression and being able to sit with your thoughts and your feelings. Men, we don't do that. It's not natural. 
it takes practice. I posted something recently, Courtney, I mean, literally days ago of that exact thing. Yeah, of like the fact that, you know, uh, as an older woman that's single and I never feel alone. I have so many intimate relationships because I have an incredible type, not just women. I have some great male friendships as well. Men who are very emotionally intelligent and able to have certain levels of conversation and and be vulnerable and courageous in that. But you're absolutely right. And I think it's why often men are are tired and and there's some truth of of kind of going from relationship to relationship and not doing the work because they almost get away with not having to you know because yeah. there's there's a lot of us women out there that are you know that would have that uh, that that sense of wanting to heal and fix someone, you know, and it takes yeah. a woman, I think often, sadly, for me anyway, but I know other women, it takes us a long time to learn those lessons. I think often I see a lot of women go through their whole 20s, you know, in yeah. and out and this cycle of unhealthy, toxic relationships. And certainly that was true for me until yeah. you really, like you say, you do the work and, and you really get into that. But it's interesting what you said, because I think for women that is, we do, we have those intimate connections a lot easier because we have we 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 communicate you know we talk we chat yeah, we love to yeah. chat um, that's the way you bond and, that, and mm. I tell men like men like that too the men that I coach I say listen communication is foreplay for women mm. you know if, if you want to this is why women end up you know they're married or in a relationship they end up leaving somebody for somebody else it's because that person was meeting their needs. They were listening to them. They were yeah. they were that shoulder to cry on. And the one thing I, I, I learned too by by working, you know, in the what you call it, social work field for you know a decade and a half, is I had the privilege to be in in some of those workshops and those meetings and those lectures. And I, I'm a I'm a I'm a watcher. I watch people. One thing that I observed was. It was I was very heavily outnumbered when it comes to men in this field, mm. and it was interesting because um, it wasn't really comfortable, and it was sad, mm. you know. And, and and you talk about being somebody who's you know a minority too. I was usually the only one, only black man in the room. Mm. I'm like, wow, not only I'm a minority of a minority, you know, because <clears throat> men working in this. This this helping field, the social work field, is a minority. Yeah, and then, you know, you had that double yeah. side to it. Yeah. So, how did that feel for work. you? Was that was that? Did you feel that kind of sense of imposter syndrome, or did that challenge you in any way, or was it actually something that propelled you even more? No, it made me want to keep. It, it it showed me the necessity for it. Yeah, like there's a need for it, and. It wasn't a lot of money there, but I really enjoyed doing it mm. because uh, you know, I, I ended up being, you know, as an anxious attacher, we attached to people and it, it's, it was really hard to see those kids go, but I knew it was, uh, you got to let them fly. You know? mm. That's why I named my, my company Fruitful Seeds, if I'm being honest, because um, well, I, I knew that I would never see the, the tree grow. Mm. I very rarely see the tree grow, but my job was to just plant those seeds yeah. and the seeds that were going to be uh, the most pleasurable seeds, not the not the poison or the nightshade mm-hmm. or the jalapenos, even though some people think jalapenos are uh, good seeds. They're know? good seeds. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ones that. that leave the, the, it's, it's the sweetest taste buds. Mm. 
I think what, what I love about working with teenagers as well is that actually from a neuroscience perspective, there's their brains are actually rewiring in this in the very similar way to that that our certain behavior patterns and emotional reactions and responses are programmed in the earlier stages, right? So, you know, we talk about attachment theory, often that's between the ages of kind of naught to three, possibly a bit older, but how we attach at that point. But then I love that with teenagers, like you say, you don't see the immediate impact of the work, but actually the seeds that are being planted and sown are those that are a deep, a deeper impact you know that you hope that in the 10 years down the line when you do see them that there is something that they've taken away from the work that you've done with them and and if nothing else I think the you know the the healthy relationships it's almost it's the be all and end all isn't it it's the make or break of somebody and I think that I just again I you know I often say it's by God's grace court that I didn't have any children in my 20s yeah. you know yeah. because I mean that because I'm I, I'm one of five and um a, few, a couple of my sisters that did have children particularly when they were younger have had severe mental health issues and yeah. as a, as a result because it's just further compounded their own trauma that they hadn't mm. yet been able to deal with and I think that uh, so sadly we don't understand this uh, uh, you know we're not told this it's not part of our education curriculum and in terms of state education and uh, and for me that's it's something that I feel is a real it's a real purpose now you know to get out and to share this message that actually when we continue these unhealthy cycles which actually Mm -hmm. we can break quite easily if we do the work if we're given the information and the education but if we don't do that, the significance, the legacy, the generational impact that it has, you know, and, and particularly for me as a woman, as a mother, as a potential birther, as a, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and I see myself as a mother even now. I have nieces and nephews and, and yeah. young people that I work with. And but I, yeah, I, that's for me, that's an, it's an issue that there is not that that intentional work with mothers in particular you know, in particular, because we, we yeah. all know that those early stages, the primary caregiver is often the mother. And that is mm-hmm. often it's the mum that's setting the emotional reactions, responses in our brains. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the matrix, first mentor. isn't it? Literally, right. literally your first mentor. Yeah. Right. right. And on well, that, sorry, go on. Oh, yeah. On my, on my spiritual journey, I learned a lot about, you know, things happen for a reason they happen in their own time and and there's a saying that goes um when a student is ready a teacher will appear and i have to keep remembering that because Mm. you could have all the books you can have all the education all the knowledge every you know you can walk past the person who's going to change your life every single day you can get in the elevator with them every single day but if your heart's not open and your mind's not open you won't receive the information Mm. so Whenever people come to me and say, I wish I learned this a long time ago, I tell them, like, you learn this exactly when you need when it. When you need to do it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you need to, which is why certain books I go back and I listen to over and over and over again, because I always pick up, I'm able to pick up some other information out of it that I couldn't receive. Mm. And because my, I believe that um, knowledge plus um, experience equals true wisdom. You know, you can have the knowledge, but if you don't have the, experience it just makes you a bookworm you don't really get it like you can't and apply it to your life Absolutely. you don't you know you're speaking from a format you're speaking from a template you're not Textbook. actually living yeah. yeah 
but and also if you don't have the knowledge, but you have the experience, you can just keep doing this wrong thing over mm-hmm. and over again. So mm-hmm. you, that never equates true wisdom. Mm-hmm. So that lets me let me realize that you know if I have the knowledge and then I had the experience in it, I consider that my truth. You know, it's like the law of gravity to me. Then, mm-hmm. you know, if I throw this shoe up, it's going to come back down because the law of gravity says so. So, and I feel like my truths are my my laws that mm-hmm. I live by. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I'm I'm able to help people when it comes to like attraction and, and um, attachment styles because I've seen it so many times that it it becomes like a given. Mm-hmm. You know, I can usually figure out the problem in a relationship with the first five minutes of talking to the person. Wow, yeah. just talking to the one person or to the yeah. both of them? No, just the one person. Just wow, <laughs> I figure out what it is. The, the, the way that they deliver, they carry themselves, they tell me about their history, um, the things that went wrong. It's like, I pretty much, uh, I come to three conclusions. All right. You, can, you just need to back off, completely terminate that relationship. And, or, um, well, there's hope, or there's, there's yeah, potential yeah. to make it work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <clears throat> I try not to sell hope. Of course, I always do try to, you know, let them know that. You never know what's going to happen. You know, that's what you hear. A lot of breakups is at the end of the relationship, the person that wants to keep stringing the other person along, they'll say, well, you know, you never know what'll happen. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what the future, in this moment, I'm not feeling it. Mm. So that's a whole different topic, but. Um, but go on then. So what would you say are the most common, um, what would be the most common indicators to you? Say maybe like two or three common indicators when somebody presents to you that they haven't, or that they maybe there's there's still a lot more work needed to do. What would be kind of, um, maybe to call them red flags or, you know, indicators of somebody that, you know, where you would suggest there's a, there's some work that you could do here. Um. <clears throat> How long, if, if, if we're talking breakups, how long they've been broken up with that person? If they've been broken up with that person for a good duration of the time, uh, let's say it's been like three months or six months and they, they're still very activated, um, then I know that there's some something underlying or that needs to be mm-hmm. healed. It needs to, and that's when I say, you know, you might want to go see a counselor and a therapist or, you know, either or, um, because you're really still triggered. And this isn't healthy for you to still be this activated mm. after the breakup was that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if the person is in another relationship and they're trying to get that person back from that other person. And it's like, well, that's really not healthy. Sure. Okay. See you guys. So, yeah. If you're, if they're still very activated and it's like, okay, that lets me know that you put that person on a pedestal and you feel like you'll never be able to meet anybody else. That's that caliper. Mm. And that, if you put somebody on a pedestal, what does that leave you? That puts you here. Mm. You know, that means you don't feel like they're equal. Yeah. And so there's a sense of the lack of self-worth there or the, the mm-hmm. stories that they might be telling themselves. Yeah. And is there, what would you say then would be an indication of somebody that is in a healthier place that you would say, you know, you're clearly on the right track, you're doing the right things. What would be indications of that? If it's someone's doing listening the work, and they... Yeah, do, yeah, doing the work if, you, if, if you're on the right path. What does that right. mean? If okay, somebody, let's let's talk about this doing the work. So, because we, we hear okay, it a lot. To, 
in our space. Let me define doing the work. For you, what would you suggest? For me, what doing the work means is you're seeing some, you're realizing that there's something that needs to be healed within you. Um, And you're going to therapy, you're going to counseling, you're dating in a healthy way where you're courting properly and you're not uh, trying to rush yourself into the next relationship Mm. because they call it, uh, you're not suffering from displacement. And what that means is you you feel like you need to be in something in order to feel fulfilled. You're in a relationship for the fact for being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where your love addiction is being triggered. So if you're doing the work properly, and I did some studies and it said that for every year that you're in a serious relationship, it's going to take you at least two to three months to fully heal mm-hmm. from that person. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody that's just getting out of a relationship and you're you know, on a dating app within the next month, you've been in a relationship for a couple of years, then that lets me know that you're trying to replace that person and you're not healing. You're not taking mm-hmm. the time to be alone. Cause mm-hmm. when you go through a breakup, you have to find yourself again. You have mm-hmm. to, your line, your lives join together when you're in it. You know, you have the same friendships, the same hobbies, you know, you enjoy the same food after a while, everything. Get yourself back to where you learn who you are mm. again you know because mm. you give because a lot of the time the men give up their hobbies they give up their friends they give up pretty much everything to be in their relationship and so like then, you say that there, there, there surely is a, as well a healthy level of you know interdependence that would come when you're in a relationship with somebody that you yeah. then when that ends that there's a new you have then a new identity you are a different person to some extent yeah. because you have shared a time with this particular person and therefore mm-hmm. become you know become a part of each other you know the bible does say to become one yeah. in a in a very real sense so and i believe there's a lot of wisdom in that you know and, and energies and, and the way that you then are transferred with that person so that mm-hmm. that time alone that's crucial isn't it and that that space to do the healing Feeling to understand yourself and yeah awesome oh cool I could talk to you all day and I could yeah, honestly sure. like this stuff is so fascinating right so we definitely have to do like part two part three um part 10 sure. when you drop yeah. your new book talk to us okay. just quickly about um the book that you're writing at the moment I'm so super excited about this the topic of it I mean, the title of the book is going to be the power of a meaningful mental attitude and it's just about finding meaning in everything, mm-hmm. any and everything that happens to you, because there's no cir- circumstance or situation that you can't find meaning. You know, it's really hard to find the positives in every situation, but there's always a meaning. There's always a meaning for it. And if, if it's whether or not, uh, hey, this breakup, I'm, I'm getting really, I'm unhealthy after this breakup. Maybe I need to realize that I was a little too reliant on a relationship for my own happiness. Mm. You can find a meaning in everything. If you get yeah. fired, okay, what's the meaning behind it? Maybe yeah. that job wasn't for me anymore. Yeah. Maybe it was time for me to move on. Or maybe I started to slack, finding a meaning. And that practice in itself helps us in the rewriting of certain stories in our heads, right? Because if we can mm. understand then the story that we're telling ourselves, but actually 
give it a more positive story and a reason and a purpose for the pain you know it's for yeah, me that's the yeah. it, that's that's the the nature of my podcast is it's understanding yeah. the the purpose the power the strength that comes from our adversities from the challenges yeah. from the obstacles and um i just want to really honor you core in all of your work and everything you. that you do and and really who you are not just what you do but who you are as a person which just radiates from you so thank you for sharing your that. wisdom and your light and just everything today yeah um and if we want to, if people want to follow you, which I'm sure they will after hearing this, uh, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram. It's um, I am Coach Court is my username. Uh, Twitter is Coach Court Two, and Facebook I'm Coach Court. But my home base is YouTube, and my yeah. YouTube is very simple, Coach Court. Awesome. Yeah, um, um, we'll put some links in this anyway on the YouTube one and in the okay. podcast description as well. Okay. So awesome. I also got a podcast. I got a podcast too, but what? it's not. Yeah, it's 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 a work in progress. What I'm doing now is I'm really taking a lot of the um, the audio version of my YouTube videos mm. and putting them into podcast forms because there have been requests about that because not everybody has the time to watch a whole full length YouTube video. But if you're riding in your car, you can listen to it. That's right. Um, Audio is such a powerful tool, isn't it? it I mean, I love, I, I eat podcasts all day, all day, all day, whatever yeah. I'm doing. I mean, it's bad sometimes because I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know how much I'm alone anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, have, right. I'm not have... sitting with my thoughts at all. I'm sitting with somebody, yeah. you know, somebody's telling me, somebody's feeding me something. Yeah, but that yeah. podcast, I just got accepted on Apple too, which is cool. And that's, uh, that's the Mindful, Mindful Love podcast. Mindful Love. Yeah, Mindful Love Podcast. Mindful Love Podcast. Awesome. Yeah, it well, covers everything from mental health to relationships. So we'll be checking that out for sure, Court. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Welcome. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Path to Power Podcast. To join our community, you can contact me on Instagram at lovedomini, subscribe to the podcast and get in touch. You can also find out more about my emotional health and wellbeing coaching and programs via my website, www.dominiro.com. That's D-O-M-I-N-Y-R-O-E.com. Share the podcast with anyone else you know that may need some strength and hope that they too can use their pain as their power. 